0: He He killed me, my sins far away. And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today, the Old Testament book of Joel, chapter 2, will be our focus. Today's verses will help us to better understand the nature of true biblical repentance by way of six characteristics. Plus, these verses will give us helpful incentives for repenting. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott.
1: Let's read verses 1 to 11 over again. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it. To the years of many generations, a fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses... And like war horses, so they run. With the as of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains. Like the crackling of a flame of a fire consuming the stubble. Like a mighty people arranged for battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers. They each march in line, nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. Path. when they burst through the defenses they do not break ranks they rush on the city they run on the wall they climb into the houses they enter through the windows like a thief before them the earthquakes and the heavens tremble the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness the lord utters his voice before his army surely his camp is very great for strong is he who carries out his word the day of the lord is indeed great and very awesome and who can endure it? The day of the Lord was coming back then, and the day of the Lord is coming to us yet. And in either case, the day of the Lord will not be mild. Going back to Joel's time, because of the day of the Lord was coming right on them, therefore it was incumbent, it was wise, it was prudent for ancient Judah to have sorrow for her sins. In fact, enough sorrow to turn around and to obey God. By the way, church family, if we say we're sorry for our sins and we don't turn around and walk away from them to obey God, we really aren't sorry. To be sorry for sin is to repent, metanoia in Greek, to turn around and to go the other direction. Sorrow for sin makes us stop sinning, turn from sinning, and go to obeying. Would ancient Judah... Repent, would they? Let's see. Verses 12 to 14 deal with the nature of true biblical repentance. And specifically, verse 12 and 13a analyze genuine repentance. It's a very helpful analysis of genuine repentance for you and for me. I see six things that these verses tell us characterizes genuine repentance Number one, genuine repentance involves God's people returning to God. Number two, genuine repentance involves a change of heart. Number three, genuine repentance is a change of the whole heart. We don't have divided hearts. We don't have compartmentalized hearts. We don't have part of our heart that's religious and part of our heart that's secular. We don't have part of our heart that's churchy and part of our heart that's worldly. Uh, Genuine repentance involves a change of the whole heart. Genuine repentance often is expressed through fasting. I taught you about fasting last Sunday night. Fasting is believers not eating a meal or more than one meal, in favor of taking the time that it would have been spent preparing that meal or meals, eating that meal or meals, and cleaning up after that meal or meals, and using that freed up time to pray. Genuine repentance is often accompanied by fasting. Fifth, genuine repentance involves weeping, and genuine repentance Sixth, involves mourning over one's sins. Let's see these six things I've just listed out in verses 12 and 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me, that's repentance, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Genuine repentance involves those six things, returning to God, having a change of heart, having a change of the whole heart, fasting, weeping, and mourning over one's sins. And so this one and a half verses analyze what genuine repentance is, what true, actual repentance looks like when we are sorry enough for our sins, that we stop sinning, that we turn from our sinning in a different direction, and we obey Next, the text takes us to the incentives we have for repenting. Why repent? Some Christians even think that sinning is more fun than obeying. Why repent? What are the incentives to repenting? I don't like filing income tax returns, but I'm going to before April 15th because my incentive is not going to jail. What are the incentives to you and me repenting? Well, according to the second part of verse 13 and verse 14, we see some incentives. Let's start at the beginning of 13 and read through 14. And rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering. Remember, when the locusts came through in chapter 1, even the wicked and corrupt priests were sad because they couldn't enter into the grain offerings and the drink offerings that were regular worship practices in the, in the community. Here God is saying, who knows, if you repent... If you're sorry enough for your sin that you stop sinning, turn from it, go in a new direction and obey God, who knows whether God will not turn and relent on his judgment and leave a blessing behind him and even allow you a grain offering and a drink offering, we might say, allow you to come in wholeness and authenticity and genuine sincerity and worship God on Sunday mornings again. So what are the incentives for us to repent? The incentives for us to repent are five. God is gracious, aren't you glad? God is compassionate. God is slow to anger. God abounds in loving kindnesses. He's loyal in his love for us even when we are not loyal in loving him. Praise God. I should repent of my sins and you should repent of your sins because God is gracious He gives us the good that we don't deserve. We should uh, repent of our sins because God is compassionate. He feels for us. He understands us. We should repent of our sins because God is slow to anger. He doesn't have a hair trigger on his rightful wrath. He's slow to anger with us. We should repent of our sins because God is abounding in his loving kindness. He is relentless in his loyal love for us because we are in covenant salvation relationship with him. We are his adopted sons and daughters. We should repent of our sins because God is willing to withhold his once intended judgment. In fact, Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know why? Why? Because all of my sins in my past, all of my sins in my present, and all of my sins in my future have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus.
0: Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and this is another edition of Youth Talk. And we want to pick up where we left off last week as we talked about Jesus in your image, and we talked about The lady, as she comes to Jesus' feet and she's, you know, weeping and crying and and, and washing his feet with perfume and anointing him. And we see the Pharisees are upset. Like, why is this happening? This woman is a sinful lady. Why is is Jesus allowing this? And we looked at last week as we considered and we talked about how in our own relationships, we need to cut off people because those relationships sometimes can get in the way of our pursuing Christ. And I want to pick up at in Luke chapter 7, verse 44, and it says this Turn to the woman. He said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and that's why she loved so much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Again, we have this snapshot as we consider this life, and we consider what's going on here. We consider how Jesus is basically turning it on them to say, look, this woman is doing what she's supposed to do. She's coming here, and, and, and you haven't even offered me a glass of water. You haven't offered me nothing as I've come in here to wash my feet, but here it is she is submitting herself under my authority by just washing with her tears, and she's wiping them with her hair. again, as we consider this and we, and, and, and we can and look at this, and, and you know we could look at how you know feet in general, um, you know, feet are dirty. Here it is, this woman is willing to get dirty. She's willing to say, you know what, I'm going to wash it with my tears. I'm going to wipe it with my hair. I'm going to anoint it with perfume. What are you willing to do for Christ? How dirty are you willing to get? How in the game are you willing to get? You see, I think that too many times we are sometimes like the Pharisees where we are in the sidelines and we like to talk and, and we like to say these things and this thing needs to happen and that thing needs to happen and you know, the list goes on. But the reality is we need to get in the game. We need to get in the, the game, the Christian game, and we need to get in there and, and work for Christ. We need not to be innocent bystanders and look at people dying and going to hell and, and just be like, oh, no, no big deal. But we need to get dirty. We need to understand that as we consider this, this passage, and, and the verse here says in verse 47, therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. You see, for us in our lives, we need to understand this as well. That we can look at people's lives and we can say, you know, they've done this, they've done that. You know, there's no hope for them. But the reality of this is hope for everyone. And the reason there's hope is because Jesus Christ came to this earth and He died for the sins of the world. And He died for us so that we could have a relationship with Him. And as we consider this whole, you know, the one who is forgiven little loves little. It's so true. You see, if our heart broke for the world, our heart broke for people around us, we would love people more. We wouldn't be so petty. We wouldn't get so upset for little things. And I think that this is in our culture and, and today, we get so caught up in little petty things. We get so caught up in, in getting hurt by, you know, the smallest of, of things. As God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world, to die for us. He paid the price for our sins. He loved us that much that He came to this earth and He died for us so He could forgive us of our sins. Verse 49 continues and it says, Those who were at the table with Him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And He said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Again, Jesus here stirs up the crowd Because again, they don't identify him as the the savior of the world, the Messiah. And they're trying to figure out, well, who is this man who says that he could forgive the sins of the, the world? I think that as we consider this passage and we consider again this woman, the woman understood exactly what she was doing. She knew that Jesus was a prominent person and she knew that she was coming to this house and she understood what she was going there for. And Jesus saw her faith. I want to ask you, how strong is your faith? What are you willing to go through to take a stand for Christ? Are you willing to take a stand, whether you're on a a sports team and, and, you know, the guys are making jokes about different people? Are you willing to take a stand for Christ? Or are you willing to take a stand when, you know, people are doing things that you know are not right and, and say, you know what, this is wrong? Well, sometimes, you know what, we just have to walk away. But I know it's hard for us sometimes because what happens a lot of times is we try to get involved with the jokes. And we try to be innocent bystanders. We try to be people who, you know, we will say, I was not really a part of what's going on. But the reality is that if we're there. We're a part of it. Again, the Bible is very clear and Paul talks about that, how bad comedy corrupts good character. You see, we got to be careful with the people that we hang around with. we got to be careful that We don't allow them to dictate the type of person that we become and we are. Because I know that it's so easy to do that. It's so easy because the world gives us the image and this is what you should look at to be cool, to be popular, to be accepted. But yet, God's word says, this is how you must be. You must be different. Your image must be different. Your image must represent Christ. You must become fearless for Christ. You must not be worried because... The Bible talks about how God has not given us a spirit of fear. So we shouldn't be scared of what the things are around us. But we should have a trust in our faith in Christ. And we must be able to live a bold life for Him. Be willing to stand up no matter what. So I'd like to challenge you as we we end this series uh, on our image in Jesus. I want us to understand something. What are you trying to do to make sure that your image is a good representation of Christ? What things do you need to get rid of? What things do you need to do better of? You know, I want us to understand too as well that none of us are perfect. We all have times in our lives where we fall. But the reality is that we have a God who is forgiving and continue to forgive our sins. And I think that we need to understand that too many times the world will tell you there's no hope for you because you've messed up. But that's not what Christ said. He is waiting for us with open arms. He's waiting for us to come to him and to ask for forgiveness because his word is very clear. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we have a relationship with. So I would challenge you to search your image and ask yourself, are you a good representation of Christ?
0: And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, good morning.
1: I'm delighted to have in the recording studio this morning some new friends, uh, Philip and Margaret Evans, who hail from Anglesey Island off the north coast of Wales. And they have been with us uh, for our World Missions Conference. It's been such a delight to get to know them. Good morning, folks. Good morning. morning. Lovely to be here. Thank you. I would like to visit with you, Philip, on uh, the topic of the spiritual state of Wales currently,
3: and I wondered if you could help our listeners know what the spiritual temperature is like in Wales today. Yes, Wales has a population of around 3 million, so uh, as part of the UK, it's the smallest of of the countries. Uh, England is about 45, 50 million, and uh, as we've been talking, it has been known as the land of revivals, and even as far as the 1950s uh, people have uh, attended church and chapel but today that is not the case today it is perhaps the the most uh, unevangelized part of, of the UK in mm. fact where we live we we've sort of done some calculations and and we think that on, on a sunday there's there's less than 2 or 3% of the population would actually be found in church mm. which which is an amazing statistic so yes. so it's really very much open Uh, for the gospel. And particularly, we find that the young people is the area where they're really very hungry and very interested to know about the Lord. It's something that that they don't know about, they've not been told. And uh, yet the older generations, they've they've had the opportunities to hear. But the young people, it's a harvest field. So there's quite an emphasis on on youth work in in Wales and and young people and schools, ministries throughout the the whole nation. South Wales is a larger population, so there'll be uh, bigger churches there, but in the area where we live it's more rural, more countryside, a lot of sheep farming, and uh, 70,000 people, but it's an opportunity to reach people with the Gospel. Absolutely. I'm
1: intrigued by your comment that the greatest receptivity and openness would seem to be among young people and of course we know that's all of the holy spirit but i wonder if there are certain factors in these young people's
3: lives that contribute to their hunger i think we we live in an age it's it's probably the case in in many western countries where where right and wrong has been challenged and we're no longer a country that, although it is nominally Christian still, but the Christian foundation has been eroded to a large extent. And in in the schools, many things are taught which are not Christian, which are ungodly, uh, evolution, uh, the Bible is challenged. Uh, and so the whole Christian foundation has really been eroded. And that leaves a huge vacuum, and it leaves the young people with being, as Jesus said, like sheep without a shepherd, Yes. and everyone needs guidance, everyone needs to know what, what is right and what is wrong, and I've heard it said that each generation seems to rebel against the previous one, mm. and it's like this generation is now rebelling against not having been taught uh, any religion uh, or, or what is right and wrong. And so, when we come to talk to them about the lord they they in many cases they don't know it's all new to them, isn't that something so as as you pray uh for whales uh what are the primary things you pray for? We pray a, again for um a revival again, but we know God doesn't repeat things in exactly the same way that yes. things are different so so we pray for Uh, a move amongst the young people and we realize we have to be willing to go where they are so we're actually working with different organizations some which go into the schools some which uh, will go into the villages and, and do things that will bring young people together and others will just engage with young people where they are and befriend them Get alongside them, youth workers, but also introduce the gospel. So we're praying much along that line for labourers, as as Jesus said, "The harvest is plentiful; nothing wrong with the harvest, but the labourers are few." So we're praying for labourers, for workers, and for strong churches, which spirit-filled churches which can cope and which are open to change. Because if a whole, we've realised that if we're going to reach young people, maybe we we're going to have to do some things in a different way than uh, we have done before yes praise the lord for the power of prayer and for uh, a
1: lord and a a savior who loves the lost and who uh, has the solution to guilt and to uh, aimlessness and confusion and so that's marvelous um I'm not sure if uh, you would be comfortable with this or not, but um, I just feel led of the Spirit to ask if you might be willing to give your email, and if anyone was um, interested to know more about um, possibly joining the Believers in Wales to serve Christ, uh, would you be comfortable
3: with that, brother? I would, no problem at all. All right, yeah, well, please yes. share your email. The email address I give you is oasis. Church Anglesey, Oasis Church Anglesey, or like it's one word, and Anglesey is spelt A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y, mm-hmm. Oasis Church Anglesey, at gmail.com. Wonderful. I, I don't think I've done such
1: a thing in an interview prior to this one. I'd love to hear But that. I, f- I feel led of the Lord to do that. And maybe there's one or two or more listeners that, as you were sharing the needs of Wales, the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, look into that. Yes. Um, well, I wonder, of course, um, the current state of the church in the Bahamas is also uh, of need. Um, there would be on the surface far more than two to three percent of Bahamians who uh, attend church regularly. Maybe I'm I'm guessing sixty to seventy percent, perhaps. But oftentimes the churches are confused about what the gospel is, and uh, can also be a, a form of uh, of tradition that uh, lacks a personal saving faith in Christ. The youth of our country uh, oftentimes are angry and uh, feeling as though there isn't much of a future with employment and uh, other things, and um, so they can become involved in things that uh, don't honor God. And so I just wondered if we could close this segment asking you to pray for the needs in Wales and for the needs of the Bahamas. I'd appreciate that. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. the good news that we have, which is the power of God to salvation, the power to save, to Mm -hmm. change. And we thank you, Father, this this gospel is the same gospel that Paul preached, Mm -hmm. the same gospel that Peter preached. And we pray, we pray for the Bahamas. We pray for a deep work of the Holy Spirit. We pray for real conviction of sin and for that revival that we've talked about, that there'll be a fresh life, a fresh wind, of the Holy Spirit flowing throughout all the churches. Mm -hmm. And Father God, that will lead to a transformation so that the hungry will be fed, so that your kingdom, more of your kingdom will be established on this earth, Mm -hmm. so that the brokenhearted will be healed and, and people will be set free. You came to open the eyes of the blind and set the captives free. And we pray again for Wales. Lord, we have so much in our history, but yet we are in desperate need today of the gospel to change and transform lives. We we pray against all the, the prejudice and all the the preconceived ideas. People think they know what Christianity is but they don't really know and they've disregarded it not knowing what they're disregarding. We, we pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal how wonderful Jesus is. Indeed. That he is the Lord. He's the only way the truth and the life. Yes. So we pray for both of our lands that the kingdom of God will be more established. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Mm. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you so much. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at EOCradio at gmail.com That's EOCradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember... Everyone needs a savior.